Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. It's like what an old friend once said to me, it's not so much that you're smart that matters, it's how you're smart that really counts. True enough. And let me add this, when it comes to faith, sometimes being smart involves a bit of foolishness, that is, blessed foolishness. That just happens to be the subject and the title of today's message, which is based on the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, verses 18 through 31. And speaking of foolishness, this message starts with the story of one of my more humbling moments. I strongly suspect that within each one of us there exists a desire to be thought of as wise. That is to say, as one who is considered by others to be intelligent, knowledgeable about things, as someone who is by their nature mature, discerning, and filled with all manner of insight. And you know, on the face of it, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. After all, as it says in the books of Proverbs, it is the Lord who gives wisdom, and it is from his mouth that comes knowledge and understanding. So wisdom is a God-given thing. So to, be want, to, be, to want to be thought of as wise would seem to be a laudable pursuit of life. However, that said, that it should be added here that one must take care in this endeavor for wisdom, like beauty, is very often in the eye of the beholder. I know this firsthand. I remember once toward the end of my first year of seminary, I happened to be in attendance at a student and faculty reception. It was a meet and greet uh, for the graduation speaker this, that year, as I recall. And as is more or less required at an event like that, together with a couple of my classmates, I was making my way towards my Old Testament and Hebrew professor, the late Dr. Stephen Sixeye. And we needed to say hello to, to meet our seminary's guest. Now, to be honest, I was never particularly comfortable in a setting such as that. So my hope was to get in and get out of there as quickly and as smoothly as possible. But Dr. Sixeye, God rest his soul, would have none of that. He greeted me from halfway across the room with the same rich and booming Hungarian voice that students at Bangor had both long respected and feared. Ah, here is one of my Hebrew scholars, Mr. Lowry. Even all these years later, I cannot begin to describe to you how that hit me. He called me Hebrew scholar. <laughs> That's right. You heard it. Michael Lowry, seminarian, pastor, and Hebrew scholar. <laughs> Got to tell you, that sounded pretty good. I remember to this day what an immediate ego boost that was. I mean, I had no idea that Dr. Sixai thought of me that way. I, I was a pretty good student, I guess. But a Hebrew scholar? Hey, that was great. And of course, the thing about a comment like that is you don't want to be all puffed up about it, do you? You at least want to appear humble. 
So I, I just said, as I was shaking his hand, well, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. In retrospect, I guess my feeble attempt at humility really didn't come through, because to this, Dr. Six, I replied, don't get carried away, Mr. Lowry. Being a scholar does not make you smart. Ah, <laughs> oh, it was a glory short-lived, but it was oh so sweet. Now, <laughs> I'm still not sure if Dr. Sixai intended for that to be a teachable moment. But nonetheless, in that rather humbling experience, there was a profound lesson to be learned. And not simply that, generally speaking, we're not as smart as what we think we are. It's also that true wisdom is kind of a relative thing. And in many ways might actually have to do with more than one's course load or academic standing. The seeds of wisdom, you see, might well be nurtured through the proper accumulation of knowledge, perception, intuition, decisiveness, all of that. But it's harvest comes in knowing how it's to be used and when. As one of my seminary classmates who were with me that night said to me, presumably to offer some amount of comfort in the face of that minor humiliation, don't worry. It's not that you're smart that counts. It's how you're smart. Oh, well. Lesson learned. What's interesting, though, as I think back on it now, is that the world in which we live actually does have some very clear definitions as to what constitutes intelligence and wisdom, right? And so often it is equated with, with other matters of life and living. Things, you know, like guts, courage, the survival of the fittest, the, the ability to come out on top in a dog-eat-dog -dog world where might makes right and nice guys finish last. That's how the world sometimes views wisdom. In the words of Scott Hosey of Calvin Seminary in Michigan, this is the way the world works, true enough. And if you are scrappy and brave and are willing to claw your way to the top of the ladder, no matter how many little people you have to step over along the way, you can and you will achieve success as defined by the wisdom of the age and the savvy of the most intelligent among us. This is very simply how to get things done in this world and in this life. That's wisdom. In this world, perhaps. But in what is the good news of our text for this morning, friends, it's most decidedly not the case of the wisdom that comes from God. For ours is the God who has made foolish the wisdom of the world. You know, one of the things that has always moved me about this particular epistle, Paul's first to the church in the ancient Greek city of Corinth, a portion of which Sarah just read to us, is that it is in fact addressed to a people who were at once diverse and deeply divided as a Christian community. The truth is that these Corinthians spent as much time bickering with one another as they did on matters of spirituality. And the irony was that what they bickered over the most was really was who was the most spiritual. Never mind 
that they were each and all called to be saints together with all those who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or so says Paul, that, and also that, that they are considered by Paul to be both the Lord's and his, is that they have these factions within the church of Corinth that really amounted to very different ideas of what that all meant. And since they were also given to a whole lot of one-upmanship and a great deal of pretension, so much of this division came down to who, as regards life and faith, who could be counted as wise. That is to say, the wisest amongst them. So, into this debate comes Paul, reminding the Corinthians and us that the true meaning and understanding of our Christian faith will never be discerned through human thought and wisdom precisely because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And that this divine foolishness destroys the wisdom of the wise and thwarts the discernment of the discerning. To quote Scott Hosey once again, proclaiming these mysteries of God that all coalesce around the cross of Jesus Christ. This message that is truly foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved is the power of God. The ways of worldly wisdom, you see, have to do with logic and correctness and power. But that's not how it is with God, nor is it the way of salvation. No, writes Hosea, here God upends it all. We are not saved by power, but by weakness. We are not saved by worldly wisdom, but by apparent folly. It's the whole world, you see, and everything we ever thought we understood about it being turned upside down and inside out, and it all happens because of the cross, the ignominious, shameful, accursed death of God's own Son, that the shining effulgence of all of this counter-wisdom destroyed. The darkest moment in human history that led to the light, the death that led to life. The cross shows us the wisdom of God like nothing else ever could. But along with that, there's something else. Along with this foolish wisdom that comes in the cross, we learn to live with the kind of wisdom that comes in a life of faith. Speaking of my seminary days, I'm reminded here today also of a, of a class we took while I was there in which one of my fellow seminarians was asked to present a paper about his own personal journey of faith. We all had to do it. In other words, we were being asked to tell a story about how we came to a belief in Christ and this sense of having been called to the Christian ministry. And it came to this young man's time to present his paper. And as soon as he began, it became very evident that this paper was an attempt to prove God's existence through a series of interconnected mathematical proofs. Now, you need to understand here that, that this particular classmate had come to seminary after having already had a rather lucrative career as a mathematician and a college professor. So you can understand the perspective. And I can also tell you that we all in that classroom agreed that his hypothesis about God was brilliant. And that was because not a single one of us understood a single word he said. <laughs> 
he went on for 15 minutes. And I can remember sitting beside one of my friends and looking, and we're lost looking at each other as if to say, do you get this? I don't get this. Do you get this? But he went through it. He presented it with great passion, as I recall. And here's what I remember the most. When he was finally done, our professor, who was very kind indeed as I look back on it, simply asked the student, and what conclusion did you reach from this? And then there was this long and painfully uncomfortable silence, after which all the student could do, just shrug his shoulders, grin a sheepish grin and say, I don't know. You see, try as we might, and we do, our human wisdom, however extensive, however accumulated, can neither define nor direct our knowledge and understanding of God. Neither can it ultimately serve to formulate the priorities and doctrines of a life that's grounded in faith. In fact, we discover it's just the opposite. True faith, you see, means living out of that place between our human wisdom and God's blessed foolishness. This foolishness that is wiser than any of our human wisdom. This overarching awareness that our strength and our hope, our joy and our peace, all of that which is good and blessed about our lives, indeed, all of life itself comes to us in Christ Jesus who became for us that wisdom from God, who became for us righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It is this blessed foolishness in the eyes of the world that Paul himself says, quoting from Isaiah, that destroys the wisdom of the wise and thwarts the discernment of the discerning. It is what makes us as believers, and might I add as the church of Jesus Christ, who we are. And if you don't believe that, says Paul, consider your own call. Actually, one of the things I love about this passage is there's also a little bit of, shall we say, a comeuppance in Paul's words that were not entirely unlike that which I received on that fateful day from Dr. Sixai. Remember, these Corinthian Christians prided themselves on the depth and the superiority of their own wisdom as regards matters of, of spirituality and faith. That is what mostly they were quarreling about. And yet Paul, right at the start, first chapter of his epistle, is very quick to poke a hole into what may be some inflated egos. Consider your own call, he says. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the strong. Or if I can use the version that's set forth in the message, isn't it obvious, isn't it clear that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose those nobodies, it says, to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. God chose what is low and despised in the world, 
so that, again, from the message, none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Don't you love that? <laughs> I can hear the Corinthians now hearing this letter for the first time. Well, thanks a lot, Paul, I guess. But you see, that's the nature of God's blessed foolishness. It's that those who, in the view of society, are foolish, weak, and low, come to know the true wisdom of God and through whom God's reign is established. In Jesus Christ, you see, true wisdom is always going to be imbued with a sense of humility and loneliness that will set you apart from the rest of the world every time. It will indeed at times lead you to be reviled and persecuted and looked upon by the world as weak and foolish and out of touch. And if you've ever had occasion where you have been in a place where you've had to stand firm and oppose to others on some issue or another because of faith. You know what I'm talking about. And yet, if you look around at any real change that happens in this world, the kind of loving action that transforms human life and, and might move society a little bit closer to the kingdom of God, that is where, exactly where, you're going to find someone who is willing to foolishly divest themselves of the kind of power and the prestige that's born of human wisdom. That's the place where, as in the utter foolishness born of the cross, you will find great wisdom, true sacrifice, and a world that is being saved. Jacques Ellul actually says this very well. He writes that, in the world where everyone wants to be a wolf and no one is called to play the part of the sheep, yet the world doesn't live without the living witness of sacrifice. The world needs the sheep. It is the mandate of true wisdom, writes Ello, that Christians must offer the daily sacrifice of their lives, which is united with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Dear friends, it is such sacrifice, the stuff of holy and blessed divine foolishness in the eyes of this world that makes us who we are. It's what sets us apart. It's what puts us forth on a mission of love. It's what makes us disciples. So may it truly be said of each one of us, you and you and me together, that today, every day, in everything we did, we willingly and joyfully embrace that foolishness about who we are. And to do so for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom and through whom comes all of the wisdom we desire and that we need for these days. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Blessed Foolishness. It was recorded during our February the 2nd service of worship at East Congregational Church, where, by the way, you are always welcome to join us. We gather for worship every Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning, and we're located on 51 Mountain Road in Concord. And yes, I'd love to have the chance to greet you in person. And with that, we're at the end of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry. I thank you for listening. And I thank you also for your continued support of this podcast. And in that regard, I'd love to hear from you. 
You can do that by leaving a message on the podcast page. Just push the message button that's there. Or you can contact me on our Love to Tell the Story Facebook page. Either way, I'd welcome your comments and to hear your stories. So be in touch. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.